the challenge to the disciples at that very moment is that he is not the kind of king that they have thought he would be. He came, as he outlined last week as we looked, not to live, but he has come to die. He has not come to take power, but he has come to lose it. He has come not to rule, but to serve, giving his life a ransom for many. Now the challenge of the text, or the focus of the, ch- of the text, shifts this morning away from Jesus' identity to the identity of the people. You see, the question that stands before you this morning, as you are approaching this very familiar text of which I'm sure you have read, please read it in light of this. As Jesus states his identity, or affirms the disciples' statement of his identity, he turns to you this morning and essentially says this, who are you? That is in response to who I am. In response to that, I was speaking with a person earlier this week as he said, Christianity and its message is never neutral. It never stands without a call for conformity, for a call to respond. And here as Jesus affirms, he is indeed the Christ of God. Perhaps not the kind of king you're expecting, but nonetheless indeed, God's king. So let me ask you, who are you in response to me? There's two groups that we have been working with for a while concerning Jesus' identity, and now it's the same two groups going forward concerning our identity. And that is, first, consider, are you still in the crowds that have gathered? As we defined last week, who is in the crowd? What is the crowd made up of? What is the crowd made up of? Today, in here, perhaps, even in this room, it could be one who is still on the fence, torn between opinions of who they think Jesus is, maybe informed by TV, movies, popular media, somewhat intrigued by Jesus, his person, his narrative, his story, his myth, maybe even fascinated or inspired. All of these are general marks of one who is in crowd. John 6, which is a parallel account to exactly what's taking here in Luke 9, in John 6, Jesus speaks to this crowd and says, you're simply here because you have eaten your fill of the loaves. In other words, you're here because I'm providing you something external. You simply have come for the sign, but you have not laid hold of the things signified. Or perhaps, this morning, you are a disciple. That is, you are one who agrees with Peter. Yes, Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ of God. He is my king. And I receive him for who he really is. And I am ready to serve him gratefully, as he deserves. These are the two groups in the text. The crowd and the disciples. In our text, as we move forward, Jesus clarifies the distinctive qualities between those who, on the one hand, have their identity bound up in themselves. That's the challenge of the text. It's about identity. So he draws this greater distinction. Those who, as I said, on the one hand, have their identity bound up in themselves. And on the other hand, 
the group whose identity is bound up into him. This is what the text is about. Who are you? Who am I in response to Jesus? Look at the text very carefully as we kind of look at the big picture and then we'll walk through each piece of the text. Look at verse 23. And he said to all. Now, important to note there is just again on the crowd gathering back. So earlier in the text in 21 through 22 and earlier even 18 and following, Jesus is speaking with the disciples. At this point in verse 23, he is gathering once again unto himself the crowds. And you'll see that if you were to look at the parallel story in Mark. So he says to all, so now the large crowd that is gathering, he says to them, if anyone would come after me. Now, consider just for a moment what it would mean already in this text to come after Jesus. So if you hear this this morning, again, I'm challenging. Are you in the crowd, intrigued, fascinated, inspired, or are you a disciple, one who believes, has laid hold of, and is seeking to serve? This is the challenge. Jesus looks at everyone in the crowd and says, if you would come after me already what might that mean at least to the disciples who know what that might mean we'll look previously in the text at what that must mean verse 22 the son of man this is what they know the son of man must suffer many things be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised and he said to all if anyone would come after me already before we proceed to each and every aspect of that call we already note it must mean that if we are to come after jesus we will be following him down a path of suffering we will follow him down a path of being rejected we will follow him as disciples down a path that leads to death we will follow him down a path that also leads to resurrection. You see, already starting out, Jesus, notice what he is doing. He is not providing some sort of spin in order to gain a greater following. He is not dumbing it down or taking off its edges. Rather, he is doing the exact opposite. He is correcting immediately this morning your expectations. He is immediately addressing the crowd to recalibrate their assumptions about what it means to be a disciple. One author writes, quote, essentially here is Jesus saying, since I am a king on a cross, if you want to follow me, you must go to the cross as well, end quote. John Stott, in his important book, The Cross of Christ, I would encourage anyone to read it. It's a magnificent work detailing the cross and its importance to the Christian community. John Stott writes of this very thing. He says, quote, the church is the community of the cross. Having been brought into being by the cross, it continues to live by and under the cross. Our perspective and our behavior are now governed by the cross. 
All our relationships have been radically transformed by it. The cross is not just a badge to identify us and the banner under which we march. It is also the compass that gives us our bearings in a distorted world. In particular, the cross revolutionizes our attitudes to God, to ourselves, and to others. This is essentially what Christ is saying. He is saying, once again, since I am a king on a cross, if you want to follow me, you must also go to the cross. And the very first thing he outlines for anyone who says, I do embrace you, I do believe, I do want to follow, the first thing that marks the cruciform life is self-denial. Notice the text. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, down that path of suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection, if anyone would come, let him deny himself. Now, think with me very carefully just for a moment about what it does and does not mean for you this morning to hear that, perhaps as a disciple afresh, considering your life and where you're at with Christ in your journey, or one who is perhaps still in the crowd, on the fence about who Jesus is, what does he mean as he calls for you and I to deny ourselves? Do we think that becoming a Christian means that we are no longer individuals? Is that the self-denial that he speaks of? Deny this reality. Deny that you're an individual. Does he say, simply deny that you are a person? Reject that concept of personhood. Clearly, he isn't saying that. Then what does he mean here when he calls for you and I to deny ourselves? The answer is, he calls you to check your identity. This is what it means to deny yourself. It is about the identity of yourself as an individual. The identity of yourself as a person. Not a denial, but a question of identity. You see, it means you are no longer free to anyone who would come after Christ. It means you are no longer free to find your identity in self-regard. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. This call is the opposite of self-regard. It is a call where you have to deny. You're no longer free to find your identity in self-awareness, self-achievement, and self-actualization. Everything that the culture says is for you is the direct opposite of the very first laying hold of Christ. Let a man, let a woman deny him or herself and follow me. It means to go against the gospel of culture. Be realized. Be happy. Be fulfilled in yourself. Christ expresses the truth of the gospel at the outset 
with a sense of self-denial. It isn't a checklist. It's an acknowledgement of the gospel. If anyone's going to come, find your identity in me first, foundationally, forever. This is the call of denial. Jesus is saying that if you are to come and follow him right here this day, as he addresses the crowds, everyone must hear, you must find your life, your identity in me and me alone. It means for me, I must find salvation, not in my strength or in my achievement or in any sense in my life, but I must find salvation in the life of Jesus Christ. This is expressly what Paul gets at as a, a familiar text which you, I'm sure you've read, perhaps even memorized, or can quickly recall to mind. Paul expresses this exact sentiment as a disciple of Christ in Galatians 2.20. Quote, I have been crucified with Christ. This is his mark of identity. This is how he expresses himself, not in self-actualization or self-regard. The way he regarded his life as one crucified with Christ. This is what Christ says. It's not just true of Paul, but it's to be true of every disciple. If you are to be a disciple, it is to experience the cruciformed life. I, as I regard myself, says Paul, I have been crucified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Again, not a sense of denial about living. He still goes on to live a productive life. He's still a sense of an individual. He's still a very real person, but he expresses his identity in Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, he says, and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith, not in myself, would the apostle say, not in my own actualization, not in my being filled, being warm, being happy, but by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the cruciformed life. And it's not for super-Christians, certain peoples, and particular disciples. Jesus very clearly says to the entire crowd, if anybody is to follow me, it's to follow me down the crucified form. It's to follow the life of the cross. And it begins to lay hold of Christ is to deny one's self. The second thing that marks the cruciformed life, this call to discipleship, this mark of belief, for again, not some people, but all people, is a call to die daily. Look at verse 23. You see it very clearly. I mean, you can see the outline of the text is very accessible and easy. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and look at this next action in the text. Take up his cross daily. Now, to die daily, understanding the term daily 
is significant here for defining a life of discipleship. What does it mean to live under the cross every single day? Again, it can't be a punctiliar moment in time where one day I went forward, one day I prayed a prayer, one day I said such and such, one day I wrote a commitment card. And therefore, I've, I must live the crucified life every single day afresh. I must die daily. Then what does that sense of every day Living life under the cross look like? Well, if we join back up into the text, look at the explanation with Christ. This is what it will look like. As he expresses it of himself, so also if we are to follow after him. Look at verse 22. Again, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the ruling class. And he will be killed and on the third day rise. What would it be for us to die daily informed by this text. It clearly means that life under the cross as a believer, as a disciple, entails a life of suffering and rejection. It's not like you might experience some. It will be a mark of your life in Christ. It is built on since I am a king on a cross. Since that's true, then you must go to a cross as well. You will not experience a greater life, a greater existence, one free from suffering and harm when you follow the very path that the Lord himself has taken. Now again, it's challenging here in America to speak of suffering. I get that. And we were just looking at the persecuted church last week in our emphases. And with that, we can get a better sense of suffering. But only if we look at suffering through external and physical challenges. There is much to be laid hold of in suffering in the United States. Very senses, very real senses of rejection will be your experience in this life if you live consistently as a believer in Christ. One writer speaks of it this way, quote, the cross is what the world throws at you when you identify yourself as a consistent follower of Jesus Christ, end quote. You see, here, living the life of a disciple, in this sense of dying daily, you will experience rejection. You will lose particular relationships. You will have certain doors of opportunity closed off to you. This is why it's so significant, first and foremost, in the text to have that sense of self-denial. Because think about how the logic is working. If one doesn't deny oneself, and you find your identity in various items, and those items begin to melt or go away, one sense of worth and identity and value, if it's not in the Lord Jesus Christ, you begin to think yourself worthless and less value. So that as those relationships begin to go away, you lose those relationships. Those doors of opportunity are closed. You collapse as an individual. 
because you have not denied your identity being fulfilled by those particular items. So Jesus says, first and foremost, find your identity in me, in me alone, not in those relationships, not in those achievements, not in those opportunities. Because daily, that is through your experience in time, you will experience many of them going away, many of them disappointing, many of them leaving you lonely. And what will be your existence then? What will be your sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, and value when suffering does come, when rejection is experienced at a human level? Will your faith be resting? Will your identity be resting in the person of Jesus Christ? However, we must know as well, as each of us have also experienced, that this morning particularly to you, if you are on the fence a bit, thinking about this call and cost of discipleship, it is equally true, we must acknowledge, that God will graciously and providentially give to you new encouragements. He will graciously and with a fatherly love provide new relationships. He will, in his mercy, unite you to the body of Christ, wearing new friendships, new opportunities, new relationships, new encouragements will be yours. This is the work of the church. This is his kind encouragement to those who feel the collapse of other relationships, the collapse of other opportunities, the collapse even of family. He, in his grace, unites you as you die daily, as you live consistently as a follower of Christ. He unites you to the body of Christ, nourishing your faith and strengthening you as you walk. But the cruciform life that Jesus calls you and I to this morning involves dying daily and allowing the life of Jesus to take shape in you. This is the call of discipleship to die daily. Thirdly, we see the third piece very clearly in the text. It involves dying daily, taking up one's cross, and then finally following if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The third mark of discipleship or the call and cost of following Christ is to live obediently. This is the mark of a disciple. This is the call of every Christian to live obediently. Remember in the text at this point who we're discussing Earlier, Peter said, you are the Christ of God. We identify that statement with all of the import of a king. So remember, consider that following Jesus here, when he says, follow me, who exactly are you following? In the text, you're following a king. Then consider just for a moment, if anyone would come after me, that is, if anyone would follow King Jesus. Then when you come to a king, 
and you say, I want to follow, you do not come negotiating the terms of your arrangement. When a servant comes unto a king, he says to him, Lord, whatever you ask, I will do. And wherever you send, I will go. That's the mark of a disciple. That's the mark of a Christian. One who doesn't negotiate the terms of the arrangement. Lord, if you do this, then I will do that. Well, then at that point, we reverse the relationship. Jesus isn't sovereign. Jesus isn't king. We're co-partners. And we live in a give and take. That's not what Peter confessed. That's not who Jesus revealed himself to be. He revealed himself to be the king of God, sent in the service of God. And if we are to follow him, we come unto him humbly saying, again, Lord, that is king, whatever you ask, I will do. Wherever you send, I will accept. So the cruciform life means living a life obediently as a servant, not for my own glory, but the glory of Christ. That's the mark. That's the call. Again, not to super apostle or super disciple, but to each and every individual whose faith rests in Christ alone. Finally, to summarize the entire call, Jesus grounds it in a calculation of a contrast between what is momentary and what is eternal. That both outcomes, there's outcomes in the moment and there's outcomes forever. And it is this calculation that each and every one of us must make in hearing the message and the call to faith in Christ. Look at the rest of the text. I'll read verse 24 through the rest. Four. So again, he's grounding the entire call of coming, denying, taking up your cross and following. He says, for whoever would live this life, whoever would save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Again, here, as Jesus speaks to each and every one of us, he sternly warns, there is a connection between what is done in time and what is experienced when time is ended. There is a connection that's why we say today, right, counts forever. There is clearly a connection between what is done in time and what is experienced when time is ended. Here's the calculation our Lord provides each and every one of us to consider. You can gain the whole world now. And that is, again, notice he's not shortchanging the picture. He's giving you the best possible outcome of time and space. So that you will recognize the exchange. He's not saying you might have a few good things and you'll have some bad things. But he gives you the fullest picture of total returns. You could gain the entire world now. That is experience 
every bit of its delights, have all of its returns and experience its greatest fulfillment. So think about that just for a moment. Particularly, uh, maybe you could think of it in terms of Black Friday, right? Big thing, it says, you know, Black Friday won't make you happy. Jesus says, indeed, what if it did? What if you had all of the returns, all of the purchases, all of the opportunities, all of its delights, all of its fulfillment? You can, you can, you can have all of it. It gives you a severe calculated risk. Let's say you do have those returns. What has it cost you? Because to have those returns eliminates self-denial, eliminates dying daily, and eliminates living obediently. He said, so, so, so instead of that, instead of the call, instead of a faith that rests and receives him, you can have every single thing of be happy, be fulfilled, be self-actualized. All of that. But in doing so, in its delights, know you are forfeiting your life for eternity. Not just a sense of living on and living pleasurably, but consider even more. You're forfeiting your life in eternity with all of its God-centered pleasures. With all of its Christ-exultant returns, its joys, its worship, its singing, its life, its creation, its beauty. You're missing all of its God-centered pleasures, all of its Christ-centered returns, and you're forfeiting heaven's glories and eternal joy. In other words, he's calling you to live through faith. Oftentimes, through the sense of self-denial, through the sense of living obediently, the challenge feels like, oh, this pathway of certain suffering and certain rejection, just a pilgrim's pathway of hardship, a sense of burden that you bear, challenges, right? Future hope and future deliverance. And Christ here tries to, once again, reorient your mind toward what is truly real. The fleeting pleasures of Egypt, of Babylon, of trinkets that rust will do away with, that moth will eat through, or a life of future bliss, future glory, God-centered joy, Christ-exaltant fullness, and joys forevermore. This is the calculation of the disciples. This is the call of the crowd. Which will you be? One who is in the crowd, in a sense, fascinated, even, you know, inspired. Or will you be a disciple whose faith comes to terminate upon the person of Jesus Christ and him alone?
We will therefore proceed, finding salvation in him and not yourself. You will make that calculation by grace that what is fleeting is truly fleeting. And what is to come will last forever. And today, by his grace, I choose to lay hold of the future in the present. This very concept of discipleship, of future-oriented blessing, and a denial of the momentary, led the missionary Jim Elliott, as perhaps you're familiar, to say this about this heavenly calculation. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a few moments around your text. We thank you for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his call to us that is freely offered to us in the gospel of grace, that through faith alone, apart from merit of any kind, we can have the Lord Jesus Christ in relationship. We can be united to him and to his benefits. We can experience a life of joy and union, not only with Christ who is our head, but with his body, a sacred union that we share one with another. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel. Challenge us in this season to reorient our minds. That we will center our minds through faith upon the eternal. And we will trust you for blessings through hardship now. In Christ Jesus' name alone we pray. Amen. I ask you just for another moment, if you remain in your seat there, continue to respond to the word that you've heard. Invite the worship team up, and in a moment we'll respond corporately.